I hate that I'm like the face of the Emmanuel Quickly Hive. I don't want to be at all. <laughs> I have no, I have no interest in that at all. I, yeah, I hate that. You're the hive leader. You're the queen. But bee. like un, un, unwilling, <laughs> unwillingly, like, yeah. I, and I know that I know that people would laugh at that and be like, dude, all you do is talk about that. Like you're always talking about the timeline. Of course, it's not like, like I do think quickly seems like a great guy. Like I do have an <laughs> affection or whatever word you want to use affinity, towards like sure. him. Affinity. Yeah. Affinity is a great word towards him as a person. But like my bias towards him is just being a Knicks fan and understanding that yeah. what's happening. Like, and it's not happening. So I have to keep talking about it. Like, what yeah. else can I do? This is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co-host, XJ. As always, he is my brilliant co-host, Jeff. Jeff. How are you feeling, buddy? I mean, I've been li- living under a rock personally, so I'm curious if anything interesting has happened with the New York Knicks lately. Uh, would you mind filling me in? Yes, they um, won on Christmas Day. They beat they beat the Bucks. That's they all beat that's happened. The Milwaukee Bucks? No yeah, way. That's all, that, that's all that's happened recently. Nothing else. Only <laughs> only positivity on this on this podcast about the Knicks and the NBA. <laughs> We wouldn't want to be toxic, you know. We wouldn't. We wouldn't want to go. We wouldn't want to go that route. And we all know there's only one way to be toxic, and it's through negativity. There is no such thing as a toxic positivity. That is not a real phenomenon that exists in the world. I actually lied to you, and I feel bad about that. I do know what's been going on with the New York Knicks. I did watch. <laughs> I did watch a bit <laughs> of the Knicks and the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was a good game for a lot of it. Let's just cut to the chase. Let's get straight to substitution gate. Um, I don't know that you could be listening to this pod and haven't heard about this, but the end of the Knicks at Oklahoma City game, the Knicks were charging forward with a potential comeback against the Thunder down two possession game um, with Emmanuel quickly as the catalyst, the impetus for the Knicks success on both ends of the court. Uh, Brilliant game by quickly. He was... Uh, I won't say inexplicably, he was pulled from the game for R.J. Barrett, who had not had a good game to that point. (laughs) Um, Later, Tibbs explained that he pulled R.J. Barrett due to the size and length of OKC's wings. Uh, Do you want to just dive right in there? I mean, there's a lot of angles we could go uh, from it, but... uh, but maybe start from the the Tibbs angle, the the Tibbs angle of pulling uh, Emmanuel quickly for R.J. Barrett due to some of the deficiencies that he believes that Emmanuel quickly has in the circumstance where he was essentially needed to guard Jalen Williams. Um, Yeah. Well, I think in Tom Thibodeau's mind, he was just like, okay, so I know quickly did a good job of sliding with Jalen Williams and staying in front of him, but wouldn't it be nice if the guy sliding with Jalen Williams was just a few inches taller and could contest it slightly better? And unfortunately, that's not really how basketball works. Um, We replaced sort of contested twos with wide open threes because basketball exists in the macro. It's not a play-by-play thing. You can't just add somebody's skill set with another player's and expect better results or – or his height, I guess, in this case, because that's what Thibodeau claimed he wanted – you know, Emmanuel quickly helps your defense in a lot of ways that are not replicable. 
And I find it kind of strange that somebody who's been right there for four seasons still doesn't seem to get that. Like, he's just like, yeah, I know, I know quickly does all these things, but like, what if we had that and a little bit more height on the court? And it's like, no, no, you don't like that's how have you not seen it's every single season, every single season, the team plays way worse defensively when he's not on the court. Um, it was for this season. I actually texted you XJ like a month ago and I was just like, the Knicks are worse with quickly on the court defensively right now. That's kind of weird. And you were just like, dude, <laughs> like, I think, I think you actually just laughed at me and you were just like, that's going to normalize. Come on, man. Like, and here we are a month later. Um, the Knicks cool. have of all rotation players, the Knicks have the lowest defensive rating when Emmanuel quickly is in the game. They have the highest defensive rating when he's off the court, 117.7 points per possession allowed when he sits 109.6 points per possession when he plays plus 8.1 swing defensively. Um, I mean, you called it inexplicable. Unfortunately, it's pretty explainable. Like we've watched Tom Thibodeau coach. We know his biases. It's just who he is, you know, and he does a lot of things. Well, he's helped build the foundation of this franchise from the ground up. He and Leon Rose have, I think they deserve all the credit in the world for that. I think at a certain point you have to ask, like, when is the foundation built and when do you start taking swings that will correlate more with the ceiling for your franchise? Emmanuel quickly as a starter last year, averaged 22, five and five on 60 and a half true shooting. He was a brilliant starter. He, he paired that with elite defense. That's an all-star. That's, that's, that's all NBA actually. Um, I'm not saying Mayo quickly is an all NBA level player. I think I personally think he could be, but I get more resistance to that, but just that production in 20 games as a starter is that level of production. Unquestionably. He provides special impact and, 29 out of other 30 teams would be figuring out how to best leverage that and how to maximize that because that's how you get to a championship ceiling. And the Knicks have instead just been like, we're going to carve out this cute little role for you. And the thing is, is that, and this is why the macro is so important. And this is why living on a game to game, game to game, play to play basis is so fallible. If you just locked Emmanuel quickly in for 32 minutes a night He's going to have two for 11 nights. Those, are gone. those aren't going to go away. He's going to have those games where nothing's falling for him. He's going to have those games where he over dribbles. You have to, you have to ignore those. Like not, like not fully ignore. You want him to improve. But the macro impact is the most important thing. And I can almost guarantee that whether it's the Knicks, whether it's a different team, when he starts getting 30 minutes a game, the macro impact is going to sustain and the Knicks should be interested in that with a 24 year old player that they drafted. I, I don't get why they're not. I, I I've been told multiple times. So have you XJ that the front office, you know, likes quickly and they, there, there are people who get him. I've been told multiple times. And so have you XJ that Tibbs is a quickly guy. I don't think he, I don't think that's true. Um, and the last thing I want to say before I pass back over to you is if your excuse is that Jalen Brunson exists, just stop it with that. Just, just stop making that your excuse. Because I think actually, if we've learned one new thing about Emmanuel quickly this season, 
it's that his best form is going to come next to a primary initiator. It's that he's not his main deficiency offensively is that he's probably not going to be, you know, a Tyrese Maxey level offensive engine. He just doesn't have the gifts for that, but he makes up for it in a number of other ways, like playing off of those guys really well, moving off the ball, shooting off the ball, attacking closeouts. And when you pair that with his defensive skills, that's a really, really freaking good player, a really helpful player. Um, who you'd think the Knicks would have some interest in maximizing. Yeah, I think that's all tremendously said. I think that you really hit on all of the notes and all of the important points. Obviously, you know, I I 100% agree with you. We are in lockstep on it. At the same time, I do want to give kind of a devil's advocate perspective for you to react to specifically. So you talked about Quickly's defensive rating uh, normalizing from early in the season. We didn't see it look as you know Quickly's defensive rating typically looks. You talked about that normalizing or, or regressing from there. You talked about his macro impact, um, but maybe having like some spotty or shaky nights, whether it comes to the shooting or it comes to um, some over dribbling stuff. Uh, and I think that, you know, this year it, it hasn't been the case in previous years. We've seen some spotty nights on the defensive end from Emmanuel quickly. I think last year he was so consistent every night, night in and night out. He was doing all the little things consistently. And I think that he's been bringing that lately. But I think earlier in the year, quickly has had some lapses, has had some uncharacteristic, just not lack of consistency on the defensive end. Um, and in the past, you and I have also talked about RJ's defense, which you have said, you know, has been good or even really good at times this year. I mean, I've been a little more skeptical, but I, I more so trust your eye on kind of assessing, you know, from a, from an eye test, a film study perspective, um, defensive ability and performance. So I guess, I don't know, I, I want to ask you, could you sort of argue that, okay, yes, we agree quickly is going to provide the best value in the long run for sure. Um, you know, over more possessions, your defense is going to be better with quickly on the court than with RJ on the court, almost regardless of the opponent. Like that is very difficult to argue, but in a, like a single possession or two, is there an argument that it's like, okay, J dub is cooking. They're going to go to him in an ISO quickly is not as good an on ball defender as he is an off ball defender. Let's get him off the court for better size and strength. Uh, you know, based on that matchup, based on what the opponent wants to do in this situation. RJ has been good this year defensively, um, and I think a lot of people believe that when RJ locks in, you know, when he's really focused, he can be a really good wing defender. So do you have you have a guy like that in this situation? You have Emmanuel Quickly, who again has been uh, shaky at times defensively this year, uncharacteristically, not as good on ball as off ball. He's going to have the greater macro impact when you look at it over a long term, several hundreds of possessions, thousands of possessions in a single possession or two. Does it make sense to go to a guy that like RJ Barrett, who more fits that prototype, who you believe can really focus and lock in on a single possession or two and make a difference? Does that is that is that defensible, at least? It's defensible framed that way. It's just not how I view basketball. Um, and I'm not saying my way is right. I just, I just firmly believe that the days of one-on-one cooking are mostly gone. Like isolation still happen, but 
team defense is far more important than one-on-one defense. And when you're, especially when you're sharing the court with Josh Hart, who's going to be on the primary guy, like already, if Josh Hart is negating or reducing the amount of possessions, Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander is getting the Knicks are winning already. Like, Taking the replacing Shea possessions with Jalen Williams possessions, they're ahead. Um, but given that you know the Thunder aren't going to let Josh Hart stop them from running the, running the offense through SGA on those possessions, which are more likely to occur, quickly is the most helpful player to have off the ball roaming. And we saw that. We saw that in the 10 possessions that RJ played in the, in at the end of the fourth quarter there. The Thunder were, I don't want to say struggling, but the, the Knicks were ha- holding their own against a really, really good offense, not giving up you know these great looks that the Thunder are capable of producing, settling for mid-range shots that were slightly contested. And sure, maybe across a single possession – RJ could do what quickly did and slide with him and contest it better because he's taller. But what about the times when they just don't have to shoot those shots because they're creating way better looks like we saw last season when their penetration allows them to kick out and find wide open shooters and there's no one rotating because the Knicks best helper, their best stun recoverer is on the bench. To me, that hurts your defense far more. And that's what the data is telling us is that your team defense needs guys out there who can start that scramble and quickly is one of the best guys that not on the team in the entire NBA. There are very few players in the entire NBA more adept at recognizing a breakdown and figuring out how best to fix it, how best to get the Knicks back into the possession. And you see it all the time. There was a possession against the Bucks that – uh, Benji Ritholtz highlighted on Twitter, quickly turned it over. The Bucks had transition, quickly guarded a two-on-one, including Bobby Portis by himself, stopped the Bucks from getting a three, and then took Bobby Portis on in the low post and drew an offensive foul. That was a possession that should have ended in a three-pointer 100% of the time, but it didn't because quickly is really, really good at that sort of thing. The NBA is so far beyond being a series of one-on-ones that I just, I personally would much rather go for the guy who in the macro is impacting in a number of ways. And this doesn't even touch on offense where you're absolutely giving something back. And this isn't to say that quickly is a way better offensive player than RJ. It's to say that when Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall are your hubs on the court and Josh Hart is your small forward, RJ, that is the, that is the paradigm. I want every Knicks fan to think about that. I'm not arguing quickly versus RJ in a vacuum on offense. I'm arguing in that specific paradigm when you know the offense is going to run through Brunson and to a lesser extent, Julius Randle, and you know Josh Hart is going to be the guy that defenses sag off of because he's not a willing shooter. At the two position, you need a guy who can bring that intangible impact off the ball, who can help bring things to your offense and elevate the really good players with the ball in your hands. How many times last night did you see quickly screening and rescreening for Jalen Brunson, relocating, shooting off the catch, attacking closeout, things that don't require initiating with the ball in your hands? This is night and day difference. And again, the data backs this up. You look at the four-man combinations of the four-man combination this season, XJ, 
of Brunson, RJ, Hart, and Randall is being outscored by 40 points per 100 possessions. 40. It's, it's, I know you were asking about defense, but this, this just isn't close. That, that pairing of RJ and Hart is untenable. Defensively, I don't think they came close to upgrading. And then it's even worse offensively. This was an unmitigated disaster of a decision, and it's indefensible to me. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm glad I asked you that question. I think it was tremendously said. I fully agree. And to take it further, from my perspective, I think not only is Emmanuel quickly better defensive and offensive player in the dynamics that you're talking about with Josh Hart on the court, with um, you know Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle on the court. I also think he's a better player on both ends in a vacuum than RJ Barrett is like, honestly. And I think that we've seen enough to, to believe that in terms of quickly his versatility, the, the many things that he does well, maybe RJ is a better on ball defender, but I don't, I don't personally believe that. Like, I don't even think so. Like I, to be honest, this is may seem extreme. Like if I was doing a one-on-one tournament, I don't know that I would I would prefer to have RJ Barrett over over Emmanuel quickly. I'm just not sure about that. So that but that's me. I, I think I mean I I can understand if people wouldn't agree with that. But at least what you're saying as far as the dynamics at play, the paradigms that they have on the court, I don't think it's even arguable. I don't think it's even arguable. So that that brings me to like something that I wanted to talk about. So when the Knicks acquired Dante DiVincenzo this offseason, like the very moment that it happened, my first thought was not, oh, that's cool. Dante's a really good player. That was my second thought. My first thought was, Quickly's minutes are fucked. Like, that was my first thought. And I think even the same day or maybe the day after he signed, I can look back at it. I tweeted out a post about how, you know, IQ, DiVincenzo, Grimes, RJ Hart, the minutes do not add up. There are not the minutes to allocate to those five players. And I received a ton of responses that were like, oh, no, it's workable. Like, don't worry about it. Randall, you know, the great thing is that Randall can finally play 32 minutes because the team is so deep and they might want to reduce his workload, (laughs) you know. And by the way, Randall's playing 35.4 minutes per game this year uh, for 35 point. Yeah, 35.4 minutes per game this year. Last year, he played 35.5. The previous year, he played 35.3. Randall is not playing less than 35 minutes per game. It's just never going to happen. Um, another response I received, oh, DiVincenzo can play the three and they can run with three guards. (laughs) According to clean the glass, he has spent 18% of his minutes at the three, which is more than I expected, honestly. And I think only happened because RJ missed, uh, some games and they were kind of forced to, to, to play about the three, but not nearly enough minutes to offset the minutes crunch that we're talking about. And actually Quentin Grimes, has played fewer minutes at the three than he did last season. Only 15% of his minutes this year have been at the three compared to 35% of his minutes last season. And then another reason I heard, oh, the Knicks will have injuries, you know. Um, And and sure, this hasn't happened yet. It probably will, of course, realistically. Dude, no, no. (laughs) We're not acknowledging that dumbass take. I... Every time somebody brings that up, I just imagine quickly in his agent sitting in Leon Rose's office and Leon Rose being like, don't worry, buddy, somebody will get hurt. And just those two being like, what the fuck are you talking about? Don't worry. Like, don't worry. Brunson's going to miss games. Like, all right, fuck off. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I appreciate the interjection there. For sure. It's 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 a 
really rough thing to imagine telling Emmanuel quickly that like, yeah, I'm worried about, you know, am I going to get the playing time that I, that I deserve and, and have earned? And then the response is like, yeah, you know, guys will get hurt at some point. It happens every year. Um, but, but re- realistically it does happen every year, right? Like it, guys get hurt at the same time. I don't think you can bank on a team construction where five players get way fewer minutes than they should, unless there's an injury. Like, uh, I mean, of course, when the injury happens, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Good. We're good. We won't miss a beat. But the team is not built clearly, fundamentally is not built to reach its ceiling at maximum strength. Like that is not like you need to build a team that like when we're running on all cylinders, everyone's healthy. The peak ceiling is extremely high and the the Knicks are really built to sustain losses to, you know, to 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 guys at the guard position, but not to reach the maximum peak that they can. And so that, that that's just a problem. And to me, it's like we talk about quickly a lot. We talk about quickly a ton. Jeff, you know, is the president of the Emmanuel Quickly Hive. He was elected. Um, there was an election late last night and he was voted. It was unanimous. It was crazy. It was like, you know, 5,000 votes to zero. And he is now the president um, unwillingly. But, you know, it's what the people need. <laughs> Why are you doing this? I don't get it. Well, I don't I don't want this at all. I don't I have no I have no interest in hive talk at all. This is this is just cruel by you. Yeah, I it, it is. But <laughs> I, <laughs> but I, like I said, unwillingly, it's not you. You are the president that people need. You know, that's that's just what it is. And at the at the same time, I, I, I you know, obviously I say that in jest. But my point is, Jeff really appreciates Emmanuel quickly as a player. I really appreciate Emmanuel quickly as a player, the impact that he brings. And we talked about that ad nauseum. And the point is Emmanuel quickly has to play. He just has to play. You just have to figure it out. I, I don't care who gets the short end of the stick, who else, a less impact, a lesser impactful player plays less. I don't care about that. <laughs> um, he just has to play. It, 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 that's all that's relevant. The, 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 the last thing I want to say on this is that I, I I tweeted out something and I said, um, basically comparing it to the very fact that the Thunder are playing Jalen Williams, J-Dub, a 6'6 guard at the four. He played 71% of his minutes at the two guard position in his rookie season, played the two guard his entire three-year college career. He's playing 79% of his minutes at the four. They played him at the four against Carl Anthony Towns, who is seven feet tall, <laughs> who is literally seven feet tall, literally has a six-inch height advantage on J-Dub. They played him at the four. They played him against Julius Randle, who is absolutely one of the strongest players in the NBA and and easily a top three strongest uh, four in the entire NBA, who has dominated guys like OG Ananobi, has just punished them and pummeled them and put them literally under the basket and dominated them. They're like, you know what? J-Dub is one of our most impactful players. He is amazing. He is great. And he's going to play minutes. I don't care who he's playing against. I don't care who the matchup is. I don't care what it looks like. We're going to figure it out because that guy needs to be on the court. They will figure out a scheme that will mitigate whatever inherent size disadvantage to the best of their ability. And they're going to play their most impactful players. And just that's just really what the Knicks need to do. Emmanuel quickly needs to play minutes. He needs to play 30 minutes. I don't care who gets I don't care if RJ plays less. I don't care if Josh Hart plays less. I don't care if Dante DiVincenzo, who's shooting 45% from three, I don't care if he plays less. Emmanuel quickly is a better and more impactful player than all those guys, and he needs to be on the court, and they need to figure it out. That's it, period. The one thing you didn't say is that, and that nobody ever acknowledges, is that when you give something up, 
a lot of times when it involves really good basketball players, you gain something back even greater. So like, I think the Thunder just think like, yeah, sometimes we're going to be smaller than the other team. Guess what? When we're smaller, we're going to create even better looks. So like, and this is why the box checking thing that Tibbs does is so infuriating because it's it's like, it's never like the goal is to win in the macro by the most you can to most consistently win over this sample size that is an 82 game season. And then the postseason. And it's like, it's never occurred to Tibbs that there's more than there are more, more than one way to win. And so like my example is always, well, I, I know Tibbs wants to have a low defensive rating. I know he cares about that. He should, you want to have a good defense, but if you have, you know, a 110 defensive rating, which would be really good. I think near the best in the league this year and a 115 offensive rating, that's a really good team. You know, you're plus five. What if you just had like a 122 offensive rating or a 120 offensive rating and a 113 defensive rating? Some people, the box checkers, would be like, oh my God, their defense just got worse. And it's like, yeah, but you gained more on the other end of the court. And so I think the first key is accepting that there's no such thing as a perfect lineup ever. I've been saying this with Tibbs for four seasons now. Like when he says that like, oh my God, can't can't not have Alfred Payton out there because we need a size at the point of attack. It's like, why isn't other shit important to you? Why isn't the fact that we're playing four on five anytime he has the ball in his hands, why is that allowed deficiency in your brain? Why is it only these certain things that we need? We're living right now at the mercy of what Tom Thibodeau decides the team needs. And sure, he deserves some reasonable amount of trust to understand what's important on a basketball court. I'm not saying that he doesn't, but there has to be a middle ground here. It can't just be continuing to, Oh, well, these are our lineups because gotta have size at the four, gotta have size at the point of attack, blah, 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 blah. At a certain point, you have to just somewhat humble yourself to the data and just accept that in the macro, even if it doesn't look the way you want it to look, things can be better going doing things differently. There's a trade-off to every decision that you make with regard to who plays and who doesn't play. You absolutely hit it on the head. What is the hierarchy of those needs? What is the hierarchy? And right now, you just said it. We're living by whatever Tibbs decides is the hierarchy. So it's more important to have size to defend the wing than it is to have guys who can ensure that that you know the opponent doesn't get open threes to ensure that there's a secondary or tertiary ball handle on the court who can organize the offense and get guys into good spots to score um, who can knock down an open three manual quickly now up to I think 40 percent from three on the season so there's a 39 but yeah yeah I'm looking at EPM 40.5 whatever some somewhere around there um there is a trade-off to every one of those kinds of decisions, and it is really difficult to decide what the hierarchy is, which kind of disadvantage, which deficiency is most important, is most glaring, is most going to impact your ability to win the game. You know what doesn't care about kind of personal intuitions or biases that we have? <laughs> the data. The data doesn't care about that. The data just like, yeah, I don't know which one's more important. All I know is this guy impacts the game better than this guy. I, that's it. And that's really how, you know, I'm going to say this pretty forcefully. I really think that the Knicks and the coaching staff, that's really how they need to start looking at the game. Maybe they don't have to go all the way, but they definitely have to start leaning on that a lot more because this is not working. And when I say it's not working, 
The Knicks are pretty good this season. Um, you know, they have a really good offense. Their record's solid. I don't think that I think the Knicks are underperforming this season. I think that they can be better. I don't think that they're approaching their ceiling. I think that they can be a lot better. And um, yeah, I just think it they need to they need to play some of their better guys more often, which seems really obvious, but is really difficult to pull off. And I don't know if you, if you want to go somewhere from there, you can. I, I, there was another thing I wanted to bring up, but you can riff off that if you want. It just feels like it's going to go the direction of last season. Like quickly is going to magically play more. The Knicks are going to magically win more. And then everyone's going to be like, see, Tibbs is a good coach. <laughs> like, and we're just going to have to do this carousel all over again. Um, they'll give, they'll give Tibbs the credit actually for Quickly's, uh, you know, defensive impact. They'll say, well, he's, re- he's a really good, he's actually a really good development coach. I don't yeah. know if you knew that, but, <laughs> um, no, I, I actually firmly believe that Quickly wouldn't be nearly the defender he was if it wasn't for, uh, Tibbs. Obviously he has drive and length and all those things you can't give to Tibbs, but just the, the intelligent and he and I'm not saying he's not smart. He's clearly intelligent, but to pair all the to marry all those things together and into understanding all these stunts and recovers all these helps. I have to assume that Tibbs is like on him and and helping him. Um, I have no basis for that. I could be wrong. I'm open to being wrong. But I just want to say, do. yeah. So I'm sure Tibbs is also on RJ Barrett on those same things. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's a matter of like. Hey, you just on the guy, and then they automatically learn it. It depends on the player, right? Like that's all. That's, I want yeah, to. that's true. That's it's it's definitely not a hundred percent zero, but just as Thibodeau needs a guy with the skill set that quickly has to take advantage of Tibbs' coaching, in my opinion, you also need the coach to put the thoughts and the the strategies in the player's head. So I'm definitely not giving Tibbs a hundred percent of the credit. I'm just saying I think he deserves greater than zero percent of the credit for sure that's fair yeah for sure i and and so just i just wanted to talk about rj specifically for a second um you know we've we've talked about rj at length at various points of the season the last 15 games so it's been 18 games since he came back from the migraines giving him a grace period of recovery um the last 15 games per 36 minutes he's at 21 points 43.8 effective field goal percentage 50.3 50.3 true shooting percentage. Those are awful. 23.9 three-point percentage. All all really, really bad. Um, minus 9.1 net rating. He's shooting 48% from less than 8 feet and has also been blocked 23 times from less than 8 feet. Um, his EPM has dropped off a cliff, and he's now at minus 0.2, which is 66 percentile in the NBA, still better than you know, league average, but he was much, much higher. I, I think this culminated with the thunder game, which I think personally was his worst game of the season. You know, I'll watch it back and, and kind of uh, assess that to, for, for any biases I may be having based on the the results, but it personally watching it, it felt like it was his worst game of the season. You, I, I, I want to say I'm always impressed with your ability to predict the future. Like after the Bucks game, you tweeted out from the Strickland account that Tibbs tried to to sneak out a lineup with uh, Josh Hart and RJ Barrett at the end of the game. And just he always literally does said, it, dude. He, he always does it, dude. <laughs> and you just literally said, don't do that, <laughs> which I thought, which I told you I thought was hilarious because it wasn't like, 
generally this is not ideal or whatever it was like yo don't do this <laughs> yeah just don't just don't do it just put the put put the hamburger yeah. down put 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 the cigarette down dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um because when he did it then the bucks immediately cut the lead within like two minutes it was insane i i i just don't know and this is honestly, this is why you don't take victory laps about a player 10 games into a season as, as you know, I, I, I don't want to take on the RJ hive right now, but like the victory laps were crazy at the time. And I was just like to myself, like, this is absurd. Obviously I came on hot hand theory and talked about how we should chill out. Like, you know, a lot of this, if not all of this impact is coming from the ridiculously hot shooting, a lot of his markers, are very similar to what they were last season. The only one that's standing out, that's an outlier, that is like, whoa, this is entirely different from what we've seen from RJ Barrett's career was the fact that he was shooting like 49% from three. That was the standout thing. That was the, the difference. And if you give up any player in the NBA, you know, 20% or 15 percentage points on their three-pointers, they will transform into a different impact player. Like that is just reality. And that is something that I pointed out, like, th that's all. I wasn't saying RJ sucks or this is fake or any of that stuff. I was saying, let's chill. I'm not sure about this. So I pointed that out. And where we're at now is this is with a little bit better defense, I will say. Although, in my opinion, still not great. Still not great defensively. This is the RJ Barrett that we've pretty much always known maybe shooting worse from three actually somehow but this is the this is the the player that we've always known where are you with rj bear right now um he needs to be better that's where i'm at the it's just such a difficult conversation for me like i hate that it always comes back to this like even last night it's not his fault that tibbs put him back in i hate that it just it always seems to come back to things that the players can't really control. It often seems to come back to quickly versus RJ, which is just stupid. Like why? First of all, they play, they play well together. Um, they've won their minutes on the court, despite RJ never winning his minutes. Seemingly. I don't think RJ's ever won his individual minutes as a Nick, except for 2020, 2021, um, which is ridiculous. Um, given how the Knicks have been since Tibbs is hired. He's won his minutes on the court with quickly every single time they've played together, all, all four seasons or three, three plus seasons. Um, so I don't get why I don't get the conversation, to be honest. Um, but real quick, real quick, back, I just want to no, I real quick, I just want to say, like, this is I'm not blaming RJ for for what happened last night. It is not his fault but, that he was sub back in. This is more of a macro, like, where mm -hmm. are we at with RJ conversation? I just wanted to clarify that, that my perspective is not like it's on RJ like he didn't play defense against Jada. Like it's that, that's not, that's not where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, related to the, to the macro discussion of RJ Barrett. He, yeah. He just needs to play better. Um, and it's a difficult discussion because I don't know how much more he's supposed to do. Like he just basically what Tibbs is asking to do is to be Josh Hart. That's, that's what Tibbs wants. I don't understand why Tibbs does. I do actually, if there's a fear, uh, it might look bad. Like maybe the front office is like, yeah, we can't bench him. Like if we ever want to trade him, that would just be a nuke to his value. Um, but I don't understand why he doesn't stagger the minutes more. 
so that RJ plays a fewer, a smaller percentage of his minutes with Brunson and Randall. Because clearly RJ's greatest skill set is having the ball in his hands and getting into the paint. He's he's passing less than ever. He needs to pass more. Like, I think he's passing on 21% of drives. Um, Strickland postgame show last night, they, they broke down RJ's drives this season. It's not good. Like, he's one of the least efficient drivers in the NBA. And of the players in his efficiency range on drives, he's passing less than any player, like any player except for Malik Monk or something like that. Um, so as always, and this is what you alluded to a few minutes ago with RJ, it's just about the process, you know, like we always harp on Julius Randle about that, but when RJ, I, I didn't feel this way early in the season, like you did. I actually thought the overall process was good. I, I didn't agree. E- even if from an impact standpoint, you were right. I actually thought that whether it was due to the hot shooting or not, I liked more of what I saw than just the shooting. I thought he was moving more. I thought he was a more willing passer. I know the data backed that up at the time. And I thought his defense was way better. And I was confident that if he kept playing that way, he would reach a point where his shooting almost didn't matter, where his usage and his efficiency wouldn't take up such a high percentage of his overall impact. Clearly I was wrong, or it's looking like I was wrong because he's pretty much reverted to what he was in 2022, 2023 over the, since, since coming back from the migraine, his entire impact is dictated by whether the ball is going in the hole in the hoop or not. You don't want that. You especially don't want that from a number three option behind Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall, because if they're doing nothing outside of putting the ball in the basket, guess what? They're probably not doing that much for you because Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall have the ball in their hands a lot of the time. So with RJ Barrett, he needs to, and look, maybe he never will. Maybe there are RJ fans who think this is laughable. But as long as he is on the Knicks with this team, he needs to get better at the stuff that isn't putting the ball in the basket. And he, like you, you, you said the stats, he hasn't been good at putting the ball in the basket either. I'm not implying that he has been. But that's the point, is that you know if he is – creating shots for teammates more if he's moving around the perimeter more when he doesn't have the ball in his hands if he's putting more effort in defensively and impacting defensively more like he was early in the season you know his i think his defensive epm this season peaked at like plus two like that's a really good defensive player it's down to um i think he's a negative now um he has the tools in my opinion despite being slow-footed he has the tools to embrace Thibodeau's style of defense and impact off the ball and on the ball. He just needs to do it. And I'm not saying he's going to do it. I'm just saying that I feel confident that he can. So, you know, that was a bit of a jumbled mess, but that's my views on the RJ Barrett macro uh, situation. The most important thing is getting to a point where his impact isn't so determined by whether his shot is falling or not, whether he's making his shots. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. I think the best version of RJ is not going to be dependent on his three-point shot falling, but I don't I just don't see that RJ. Like I I personally I just don't see that RJ. And I think he definitely has the tools. Like I don't it's not debatable, and that's why people are high on RJ Barrett. 
he definitely has the tools and but you said he he can do it he just needs to but can he like what does that mean like in my opinion i when when someone's like he can do it it's like i can you know train to be an olympic level bodybuilder like i guess i can but like can I really, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I guess I, I, it is a possibility in the realm of all the, the world's possibilities that could happen, but is it going to like, Ken has to imply to me to some extent, like there's a, a, a relatively reasonable probability of something that is going to happen. And it's just not, I don't know that we've seen enough to say it's going to happen. Like this is a really large sample at this point. This is a really large sample. And I've never come down on RJ Barrett. I want to clarify. I have been neutral and relatively agnostic on RJ Barrett for his entire career. That we are year 5. I've been never have taken a side in terms of he won't be good, he will be good, he'll be terrible, he'll be great. I've never been I've been like we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. This is a huge sample at this point. He's 23 years old, he's still young, and I acknowledge that. This is a huge sample. We've seen the really high highs. We've seen the really low lows. We've not seen a sustainable period of highs or even, uh, you know, moderates. We, ha we haven't seen it. And at some point to me, it's like we have to acknowledge what the production has been. And this is has been the production over, I don't know his career total of games, but I know it's like 300 or something like that. Um, he's at his highest usage ever of his career right now, 27 usage. He's never had more usage and the results have not been better. They've been better for a stretch of 10 games. And, but honestly, we've seen RJ play really well over stretches of games, not shoot like he shot, but I also don't believe that that shooting was legit. I, 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 I just don't. And, and despite the fact that he's shooting, he's still shooting 84% from, from the free throw line, which is, it's the last thing I'm clinging on to. It's the last thing I'm clinging on to. Like there's there's some kind of positive shooting in there. But yeah, I just, the, the rim finishing is terrible. The drives, the, the decision on drives are terrible. The consistency is terrible. And I just, I don't know that we're going to see it. I don't, I don't feel confident that we're going to see it. I would say from a person who's been pretty neutral on RJ for the entirety of his career, where I'm at right now is I'm expecting, I'm not expecting it to happen. And when I say it, I mean to, for him to be an overall positive impact player on the Knicks. I, I think it's possible he goes somewhere else um, and it work out because maybe they have a stretch five and maybe the ball's in his hands more. He kind of operates like an on-ball on ball guard more than he does like a, a wing. He When he has the ball in his hands, he can get to the rim. If he was more of a primary creator, maybe he'd be a more willing passer. I'm not sure. You know, if he felt like it was like, hey, RJ, this is your team. You're the engine. You can't not. This is your team. That's he's not going to go anywhere and it'd be his team. But I mean, like if he's with a second unit or something like that, and it's like, this is your time to shine. You are going to create for us. When you get into the paint, it is not for yourself. It is to create an advantage for someone else and you kick it to them. Maybe that's the best situation for him where he's not required to shoot. He's just required to get to the rim and put pressure on the defense and kick to open shooters. But 
It's not going to be in New York. New York clearly to me needs a wing shooter type. And they essentially, for me, they need like a, a DiVincenzo, if he was three inches taller, would be like the best, the best fit in that role uh, that RJ is currently playing. So I, I'm really at a point where I'm, I, I'm starting to make a clearer assessment on RJ as opposed to being in this like kind of neutral position. And I just, I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen at this stage. I just want to say um, there are false equivalences. And then there's you comparing RJ Barrett, putting flashes of stuff together to you being a bodybuilder, uh, an Olympic bodybuilder. <laughs> like that was boy, boy, oh boy. I had to keep it together for that one. I was just sitting over here like, dude, what is he talking about? Listen, what uh, are the what, what's what's a higher chance of, uh, to happen? Me becoming an Olympic bodybuilder or RJ Barrett becoming a, a positive impact player for the New York Knicks? Hey, I, you 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 can say whatever the odds are, but I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be right. Whatever you think they are, XJ's box. You know, if you can't see it, did, did it really not happen? Exactly. Or <laughs> I, I, the the second thing I want to say is it's interesting that. And I don't know if this is, I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm not 100% sure this is uh, This is an indictment on Tibbs, but it's interesting how these conversations keep happening. Like all of these players, except for a couple, it's like, are they going to look better elsewhere? You know, is quickly going to look better, even better in a bigger role outside the Knicks? Like he's doing what he's doing in, I think what most people would agree, a suboptimal minutes, rotation, usage uh role everything um rj barrett is it possible he needs more space does he need the ball more will he pass more if he has the ball more consistently would he shoot better if he had more the ball more consistently yada yada are all these correlations are all these things correlating obi toppin you know like obi toppin oh does he just have to go somewhere what does he have an 80 percent true shooting percentage this season in indiana like i know i know he quote unquote just got benched but um it's just i don't know it's interesting um Oh, Obi real Top- quick, real quick. Obi Toppin is, uh, he has a 70% true shooting, uh, 97% on the NBA finishing at a 79.3 percentage, uh, at the rim, a 99th percentile in the NBA, hundred percentile for his position, uh, has been a, a complete elite finisher in the game. One plus 1.3 offensive EPM, 83rd percentile, 70th percentile overall EPM has been had his best season, uh, you know, easily um, for the Indiana Pacers, but continue. Yeah, no. And I just think, I just think it, it brings up some interesting discussions, not with the Knicks, but across the league because team building's hard. I would never begrudge the Knicks for, you know, they got Jalen Brunson. They brought him here. Julius Randle's had two all NBA seasons and three seasons. Both are playing great this season. How do you balance all these things? I, I'm not going to claim to know the answer. I have theories, but um, yeah, I just think I just think it's really interesting, and we could we could honestly talk about this for hours. 